Uh, with that being said, I want to start with a story that I read about 10 years ago in a book by a guy, a guy named John Ortberg, and it's a story about a little girl and her dad. The story takes place, it begins anyway, at McDonald's. How many of you guys are big McDonald's fans? Really? Okay. You're on, okay, yeah, it makes sense. They're both under 18. Um, <laughs> I've, been, how many guys, I've not been at McDonald's in at least 10 years. Anyone else proud to make the, that statement? Yes. It's, I have no desire. Zero desire. But this girl had a desire to go there. And she walked into McDonald's and right away up on the menu board, she saw it shining, almost glowing. It was like drawing her, drawing her to it. It was a picture of this box, this colorful box with a little toy that they advertised. That was, it just looked like this wonderful little toy and it had, had like, I think, nuggets and fries and a juice box or something. And this girl looked at this thing, this, this Happy Meal, and said, I need that. She tugged her dad's shirt and said, Dad, me want. Give me that thing. I really, really want it. Please, can I have it? I need it. And the dad said, sweetheart, you are so cute. You're so naive. Don't you understand? That's just marketing. That toy, you'll break it in a day. And if you haven't broken it in a day, you'll lose it in two days, guaranteed. And that's, gonna, that's how they trick you because they marked it up $1.50 for a toy that cost them five cents to make. Don't be a sucker. Just get the food and we'll enjoy a great meal. And the daughter looks at the dad and says, you have no idea, do you? That box is really important. It's a happy meal, dad, and I don't just want it, I need it. And the dad looks at her again and says, no, you don't understand, you don't need it, you'll be just fine without it, trust me. And finally the girl, she didn't want to bring out the big guns, but she said, she said to her father, father, like every other American, I was born with certain unalienable rights. Our creator has endowed us with the unalienable rights. One is, is life, the other one is liberty, and what's the third one? The pursuit of Happy Meals, right? <laughs> and at that, her father had nothing. He had nothing. No comeback, no nothing. So he, he reluctantly plopped the money down the counter. They went. They ate. It was, it was amazing for this girl. It was incredible. She loved it. She played with the toys. She you know, filled the maze on the side of the box. It was great. And then they walked out the door, and guess what happened? It totally worked. The Happy Meal worked. She went home that day. Not once that night did she not have a smile plastered on her face. Her little brother took one of her dolls, broke the head off of it, and laughed at her. She just kept smiling. Didn't bother her at all. She went to school that next day, and for the rest of the year, all the bullies that used to pick on her, they kept picking on her, but it didn't bother her at all because she had the Happy Meal. At times when life would deal her a particularly difficult, she would just reach in her pocket and feel that toy and go, life's good. Life is good. So much so that she ended up kind of getting to know this guy. They hung out, and at first he seemed like a great guy, and so she got married, and she found out after a year or two of marriage, this guy is a horrible human being, but don't worry, it didn't temper her enthusiasm. She still was every bit as happy as she was that day when she ordered the Happy Meal. The Happy Meal was still working. This poor woman had two sons with this guy, and, and shortly before he left her with the two boys, she realized these two sons were just as bad as their father, if not worse, and she had the privilege of raising them. But throughout this entire process, the smile never left her face. This woman, in the midst of all of her hardships, had one thing going for her, and that was that she was a Seahawk fan. She watched the Super Bowl, where Pete Carroll called a pass play from the one-yard line, instead of handing it to Marshawn Lynch. And while every other Seahawk fan was devastated for life, she literally was able, I mean, she cracked a, a little bit of like a, a, like a straight face, but then it was right back up, corners up. That was her motto, corners up. 
This meal did everything that you ever thought it would do. It was amazing. It was incredible. And it's an absolutely ridiculously false story, right? That's the dumbest story. Most of you guys are like, this is ridiculous. This is stupid. What's this guy talking about? Here's what I'm talking about. Is that we have kids that are foolish enough, dumb enough, to think that a momentary change in circumstances, that adding one ingredient, a happy meal, to their life is actually going to make a significant, worthwhile difference. That that is what's going to bring them happiness and contentment. And the question I have for you is, at what point are these dumb kids going to get it through their head that improving their circumstances will not make a lasting life change? And the only answer I can come up with is that I don't think they have much of a chance of getting it until we get it. Because we're guilty of the same thing, right? But the author profoundly pointed out that if you think about it, they are way ahead of us because their Happy Meals cost about four bucks. How much did your Happy iPhone cost? How much did your Happy iPhone Plus Plus cost after the one? I mean, think about, think about the adult versions of Happy Meals. And now that you're done throwing up in your mind, rejoin me here. It is sad the things that we think will bring us happiness. It is sad how guilty we are of the same thing. It is sad that we, just like them, are convinced that there's a magic ingredient out there that if we can just add that to our life, we will find a way to find lasting happiness, just like that girl did in that ridiculous story. So today, I'm going to wrestle with this issue that we have that is a very real issue that honestly I've seen in my life and I've seen in the lives of the people that I know well. And that is this, is that our unalienable right has become our unshakable burden. We, we have become slaves to the pursuit of happiness. I wrestled all week with this book of Ecclesiastes. I must have read it about three times. And I mean, I was charting things out. I was writing, you know, here's some positive things. Here's a whole lot of negative things. Here's some things that seem to kind of contradict each other. How do you, how do you get to whatever? And in the end, this right here is what I settled on. The idea that we as human beings, it is sad how our, our unalienable right has become our unshakable burden. And we have all become slaves of the pursuit of happiness. And so today I'm going to kind of use this equation to hopefully simplify this whole thing. And this is basically the equation that all of us have bought into. At one point in our lives, maybe maybe right now, you are fully embracing this simple equation. That me, who I am, where I'm at, I need blank so that I can find a happy and whole life. That is the most simple way I can break this down. That me plus blank equals happy and whole. And so I would ask you guys, what is your blank? What is the thing that you feel like, man, if I just had that? And some of you guys, maybe you have something right away that popped into your head. Maybe you have to think a little bit harder. But I'm telling you, I would bet that most of us have something that we feel like, man, that's the thing we need. And as I, I'm about to list off a few of them that I think that are, are probably fairly common. And before I do, I want to make sure that I'm, this isn't intended to be trite. None of these things are trivial. All of them, in many ways, if you were to add them in here, me plus what I'm about to say would equal a better life. Like the first one that came to mind for me was more money. Like I know there are people in this room that are drowning in, drowning, drowning, drowning. People in this room that are drowning in bills. And so yeah, me plus a little more money would make my life better. But we have to understand that me plus a little more money is not gonna make you happy and whole. And that's, that's where the problem comes, that we begin to think that those one things, that will be the happy meal. And so again, I don't know if, if for you, maybe it's, maybe it's more money, maybe it's finding that special someone. I, I, just, I just need my soulmate and then all will be better. 
When I do premarital counseling, I always point at a picture of my wife and my family, and I say, you don't know a luckier person than me. My family's absurd. They're amazing. It's like I hit the lottery, and I ramble about that for about a minute, and then I take about a minute saying, these people in this picture drive me crazier than anyone you've ever met. And then at the end, I come back and I go, having said that, it's still the greatest thing that has ever happened to me, right? These, these, these families are made, but I'm telling you, if you think it's gonna bring nothing but happy meal, oh man, you're, you're wrong. Some of you, hey, I need a bigger house. Some of you, I, I can't relate to this, but some of you feel like I need a better beach body. I'm already there, I've arrived. <laughs> some of you, and this is one that I like, I, I say because I know this community, like there are a lot of people like, man, if I could just have a shorter commute, and I, trust me, I don't say that trivial. Like, I know that there are people who are missing a lot of family time because of that darn 15 freeway. There are people that feel like, man, if I could just accomplish this certain thing, or if I could, if I could just get acceptance or approval from this group of people, this blank has all different shapes and sizes. Some of you are simple-minded folk like me, and it's like me plus a blackened ribeye from the gambling cowboy, and I'm happy. What else is there in life, right? Said the guy whose wife became a vegetarian. I love you, dear. <laughs> Again, all of these things are legitimate. All of these things are, are serious. Like, I don't, I don't, even the stake, I'm dead serious. Some of us, that matters. But again, what Ecclesiastes is trying to get at is there is no solution. I mean, Solomon, in the book, if you read it, he's like, I have tried, this equation, I've, I've messed with it. I've tried everything to make this thing add up, and it doesn't. I've tried wealth, doesn't work. I tried wisdom, it doesn't work. I tried pleasure, it doesn't work. I tried power, it doesn't work. I tried lots of women, it does not work. There is no solution that you can put in there that adds up and says, it's all good, it's all gravy. And so that's what we wanna wrestle with today. And, and again, as I've wrestled through the book of Ecclesiastes, it's one of those books that it has certain little, little verses that you're tempted to go, oh, that's a great verse. And you wanna share it with everyone until you realize that like four chapters later, it says something that seems like the exact opposite. You're like, oh, wait a minute, maybe I can't. And so when you read this book, and I was telling Scott on Friday as he was crushing my soul on the golf course, he, uh, I was telling him, this book, more than any other book, it's like I feel like I can't take verses out and make an island out of a verse and say, here's a really cool fortune cookie thought. You can't do that here because, because you need to try and get the entire idea. And so having said that, I am going to point out a few verses, but I need you to know that I believe that all of these work towards his one grand idea. And it's all that we, this, this idea that we've been wrestling with, this idea that we've been talking about, this struggle to find contentment, this struggle to find happiness where we're at. So let me see, uh, let me show you the, uh, the, first, the first verse here. It's Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verse 9. It says this, enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. Just dreaming about nice things is meaningless like chasing the wind. What a simply, beautifully profound statement that is. Enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. What a, I mean, it's, it's, it's simple. It's incredibly simple, but it's incredibly difficult. Like I, I think anyone in this room is like, man, if we could do a better job of that, our lives would be better for it. But at the same time, you're thinking it's not easy. It's, it's hard. And I want to make this an even broader statement. I want to make, you, make sure you understand this is not just about materialism. It's not just saying, don't want your neighbor's car. Don't want the, the fancier phone. Don't want that certain purse, uh, whatever it is. I, I, would, I would read this as a broader way of saying, enjoy where you are at rather than desiring to be somewhere better. And, and that to me is what the whole book of Ecclesiastes is getting at, is this ability to be content here. 
And I mean like wherever God has you in your life to find a way to be content and to realize that there's joy to be had here. And for some of you, you hear that right now and you're like, that's true. I've got a pretty good life and I should enjoy it more and I, I, and I miss too many opportunities. And others of you are like, Ryan, you have no idea what I'm going through. How dare you tell me to find joy in the midst of the pain I'm going through right now? And I'm telling you, I don't say it to be trite. I don't say it not knowing that people in here are going through some serious stuff. I'm saying that I truly believe that that is the wisdom he's trying to share, is that we need to be where we're at and find a way to find contentment there. And sometimes that means in the midst of very painful situations. So again, the struggle that we have, the struggle that we have is this inability to be content where we're at. There's an idea that I, I came across yesterday, and I was thinking, I mean, I, I, I was hoping. I typed into Google Images. I'm like, please have this image. And I lucked out, and they had it, because this picture, to me, sums us up. Now, obviously, this lady's trying to get out of town. She's trying to get anywhere but there, and it's kind of like a joke. Hey, just get, just get me out of this place, right? But if you, if you go on a deeper level, this really, truly is profound. It's this idea of like, wow, I'm... I'm just not content where I'm at. Get me away from here. And if you want to speak metaphorically, I think that, the, that we hold that sign up through most of our lives. How much of your life have you wasted with that attitude? I just need to not be here. I need to get there so that I can find blank. And so the question I want to wrestle with, the question that we'll kind of you know, look at from a, a couple different angles is this question. Why is it so difficult for us to be happy and content here? Why is this so tempting to embrace? Why is it so difficult for us to be happy and content here? My first answer is a seemingly easy one. It's, the, it's that beautifully wonderful sin that many of us struggle with, uh, envy. How many of you guys would say envy is a struggle of yours? Cool. Just like last year, was about five of us struggle with envy, which means that I envy most of you for not struggling with envy because I do struggle with envy. It's just a thing that I've had wired in me since I was a kid. But I want to try and illustrate what I mean by when I say, why is it so hard to be content here? One answer is envy. Uh, imagine you have a five-year-old kid who you decide to surprise with a wonderful surprise treat, a, an ice cream cone. So they come downstairs and you go, hey, would you like an ice cream cone? And they go, boy, would I? So you hand them the cone, you scoop the ice cream on top, and you have this beautiful scoop of ice cream. And that kid literally, in that moment, their eyes are just filled with joy. In that moment, would you say that they're content and happy here? I would say they're about as happy as they could be. I, don't, I think that they're literally, like if a unicorn pranced through the room, they couldn't be any happier. Like, this kid is happy until the, the older brother walks down. And mom says, oh, would you like a scoop as well? And the older brother says, sure. And, and mom gets a little heavy-handed with the scoop. And it's noticeably slightly bigger. Now the question is, is that kid happy here? M moments before, life was great. But, but the moment he sees what his brother's got, contentment goes out the window. There's a verse where Solomon talks about this. He says, I observe that most people are motivated to success because they envy their neighbors. But this too is meaningless, like chasing the wind. And some of you might be thinking, well, Ryan, what's wrong with that first sentence? Look, it says, they're, they're, I observe that they're motivated to success. They're making positive changes because they envy their neighbors. And I'm telling you that, again, I like the idea of, of seeing something in someone else and admiring it and saying, you know what? I want to grow in that area. Like that's a personal goal of mine is to, to be someone who's always willing and looking to grow personally. But I, what I would want to differentiate here is there's a big difference between the idea of envying your neighbor and having a healthy admiration for your neighbor. 
There's a big difference between envying them to the point where like you need to have what, here's the problem with envy. It brings this equation back up. This is what envy ends up being. Me plus what my neighbor has, then I'll be happy and whole. But, but admiring something in a healthy way, it's like, okay, me plus that, I'll be, I'll be a better person. I'll be, I'll be a little happier. I'll be a better father. I'll be a better uh, husband. I'll, I'll grow. And so again, I'm not saying that, that, that comparing yourself to your neighbors is always a bad thing. I'm just telling you that, that be prepared to have the joy sucked out of life. Be prepared to have those moments where you could not be happier until you see that your neighbor got a newer car than you. There's a, another picture I found on Google Images that again, it just says it beautifully. It's like this is the tragedy of that envy, is that yes, there's my lawn, here's my life, and there's always that. There's always that. And again, it's like even if you're lucky enough to turn this into that, you look next door and it's even greener. It's that new fake stuff that it's gotta be filled with germs. Anyway, it's tragic. And it's tragic because, because we actually fall into that trap. Rather than saying, hey, I have an ice cream cone and it's great and I love it and I'm gonna enjoy this thing, I can't be content because my neighbor has a bigger one. I, I, it's just the sick, sad truth. So one of my favorite things with counseling people, doing you know, marital counseling or just individual counseling, is that you know, I'm, I get tempted to, to embrace this attitude where like, hey, here's, here's here and there's there. Um, sometimes you counsel people like, yeah, I had an idea they were pretty messed up. Like you could kind of tell from the outside like they had some issues, sorry, but that, we all have those people, right? doesn't take much to, to know. Then there's other people, you, you look at their family and you're like, wow, I want our family to be like that family. And then one day they're like, hey, would you be able to talk? I'm like, oh, are you going to confront me on some stuff? Okay, that's cool. And then all of a sudden they start telling you all their issues. You're like, wow, you guys are messed up. And it's this weird thing where you start to, like, again, it's one of the gifts I have is where I realize every time I feel like my family has these major issues, which we have issues, it's, it's so encouraging to know that, hey, their lawn's messed up too. And one of the things I love to do in counseling is when families are like, oh my gosh, my family's just so messed up. You wouldn't know, you guys. I'm like, oh gosh, where, where should I begin? You did that same thing happened three times ago, three times last week. But again, there's wisdom to be had in realizing that all the lawns have gopher holes. All the lawns have that sprinkler that's broken and fires off at 4 a.m. in the morning and just shoots up like Old Faithful. Anybody? My lawn does. But again, the, the sadness is that we get sucked into looking at other people's lawns thinking that that is where we'll find happiness and it sucks the joy out of the moment that we're in. Another reason, another answer to that question, why is it so difficult for us to be happy here and now is a fancy term that I want to say so that you'll think me more intelligent and that is the hedonic treadmill. A hedonic treadmill is the idea that hedonism, which is where that word hedonic comes from, hedonism means the pursuit of pleasure. And that as we pursue pleasure, that really, while we feel like we're gaining ground, we're really just walking in the same place. And there's been all sorts of studies on this about how people, they, they, they have these major breakthroughs, huge victories in life, win the lottery, get a, a huge raise, find the girl of their dreams, all these great things. And, and they expect to see this major improvement in the quality of life and the level of happiness. And what they have found time and time and time again is that after about three months, when they study these people, they've all dropped back down to their baseline happiness line. So what they see is that, yeah, there's momentary, like, this is awesome, but they basically settle back down. It's not the, the, the missing ingredient to their happiness equation. It's something that is pleasant, that they enjoyed, but it doesn't solve all their problems. 
But we are silly enough, we are convinced and foolish enough that when, when we just get that one thing, then it will change forever. Here's a verse from chapter five, verse 10. He says, those who love money, which I would fill in the blank with money, approval, status, whatever it is, those who love blank will never have enough. That's the hedonic treadmill. How meaningless to think that wealth or whatever else it is that you're chasing will bring true happiness. My mom told me about a really rich guy from back in the day named J. Paul Getty. Anybody know him? None of you know J. Paul Getty. Apparently he has a lot of money and he uh, has something to do with that museum, the Getty Museum. And, uh, and apparently somebody asked him, hey, uh, Mr. Getty, how much money is enough money? And what did he answer? He said, just a little bit more. Those who love money will never have enough. We are all sadly stuck on the hamster wheel of, I'll get it the next time. I'm gonna get, okay, I'm, it's, we're chasing the carrot, we're chasing this, this cure-all, we're chasing this missing ingredient to the happiness equation, and we're on a treadmill. We're all stuck on the treadmill of all I need. The only thing I need is blank. This idea is, uh, it's, is very profoundly and comically illustrated in a Steve Martin movie called The Jerk. You guys can check this out. Some of you guys know exactly where this is going. Well, I'm gonna go then! <laughs> and I don't need any of this! I don't need this stuff! And I don't need you! I don't need anything! Except this! And I tell you, that's the only thing I need is this! I don't need this or this! Just this ashtray! Just this paddle game! The ashtray and the paddle game, and that's all I need. And this remote control. The ashtray and the paddle game and the remote control, and that's all I need. And these matches. The ashtray and these matches and the remote control and the paddle ball. And this lamp. The ashtray. <laughs> Game and the remote control and the lamp, and that's all I need. And that's all I need, too. I don't need one other thing. Not one. I need this. It's true, right? Like, wait, man, this is all I need. And then, and then maybe you're lucky enough to get it. That's one of the greatest tragedies in life. We always think about the, the struggle of the trying to achieve this dream. What's even more tragic is when you achieve the dream and you realize it's not what you thought it would be. It's not that missing ingredient that solves all your problems. And so again, you, you, we find ourselves just on that treadmill. I can remember seven years ago thinking all I need in life I, mean, I remember running up and down the hallway to check at our tech guy's room. Are the iPhone 3s in yet? Is the iPhone 3 out? Can I have my iPhone 3? And I remember getting my iPhone 3 thinking, okay, now I'm literally, I'll just die happy. I'm on the iPhone 7, I think now. Some of you guys are like, oh, you're stuck there. Yeah, I'm stuck there. I had a friend the other day and I was talking about, he, he had the iPhone 8. I'm like, oh, that's sweet. He goes, it is awesome. And he goes, but I'm telling you what, this is it. He goes, I don't care what else they come with. Until this phone breaks, I'm not buying another one. And I remember like legitimately feeling concerned for him. Like, really? But, but what if it's like a little bigger? What if the camera, what if the pic more pixels? What, are you serious? Like, and I remember thinking like, this guy, hey, I'm concerned. 
It just tells you how, how ridiculous it is. But again, um, I'm not much of a runner, which might shock you guys. But if I did run, I don't think I'd want to run on a treadmill unless you could watch really entertaining TV while you're doing it. Um, but the idea of running on a treadmill sounds infuriating. It sounds exasperating. It sounds miserable. And that is what a life spent chasing that next thing you need is. Solomon says it beautifully in chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. He says, all their hard work is for nothing. Like working for the wind, throughout their lives they live under a cloud, frustrated, discouraged, and angry. Sadly, that's true of many of us and what we've experienced. Uh, the definition of insanity. How many of you guys have heard the definition of ins insanity? It's when you do the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over again, and you expect a different result. And yet, we have all been incredibly guilty of that, especially in this one particular way. Let me show you what Saul, Solomon comes to as his conclusion in this whole thing. He says, uh, this is my conclusion. I discovered this after looking at the matter from every possible angle, which is a very heavy statement considering how rich he was and how much he literally just said, I'm going to give everything a try when it comes to finding happiness and fulfillment. He says, though I have searched repeatedly, I have not found what I was looking for. Is anyone humming or thinking or singing that U2 song right now? You want to sing it with me? Okay. You know, it says, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I mean, I've, I've been in, a, in arenas where hundreds of thousands of people are singing that song, and I'm thinking, Ecclesiastes, read it. You probably won't get it, though. It's really confusing. <laughs> I'm telling you, I, like, wrestled with this book this week. But again, you have to understand who is saying this. This is coming from a guy, like, in our household, there's a, re a repeating event that usually happens with my boys, sometimes happens with my girls, but you hear it from upstairs, you're like, Mom, I can't find my socks! Or, I can't find my volleyball shorts! Or what? And, and she's like, have you looked in your drawer? She's like, no! I'm like, why wouldn't you look in your drawer? And then they come downstairs, like, I've looked everywhere! I'm like, in the drawer? She's like, yep. Like, how about the laundry? Have you looked in the laundry? Nope. How about the hamper? Nope. How about your sister's drawer? Maybe? Nope. Oh, so you looked everywhere. This is the thing. Now, if, like, if I lose something important, I'll say, Jen, have you seen one of my, I can't keep a sweatshirt to save my life. My sweatshirts disappear. It's like God says, you have a built-in sweatshirt. You don't need one. But I can't find them anywhere. And I asked my wife, I'm like, babe, have you seen this sweatshirt? And when she, if she says no, I'm like, I know that thing's vaporized. It's gone. It's disappeared. Because she, like, she knows where things are. She looks thoroughly. My kids don't. Solomon is not like my kids. He, if he says he's looked everywhere, he has looked everywhere. It's one of those things where, man, if you hear him saying, I've tried everything and none of it works, you should take note. Problem is, is that was thousands of years ago and some of you guys can't relate. It's like, I, I wish there was somebody more modern that I could use as an example that, that shows you that, that you will not find happiness even if everything you ever dreamt of came true. Luckily, there's a video of someone who you guys should recognize. It's me. Sorry. But with all that money, fame, and career accomplishments, we were surprised to hear this from him. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and, and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life is me. I thank God. It's got to be more than this. What's the answer? I wish I knew. I wish I knew. That's pretty crazy, right? That's Tom Brady. 
I mean, aside from the fact that he's a patriot, which is a, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. Like, we're all Christians here. We hate the patriots, right? <laughs> aside from that, I mean, the guy literally has accomplished everything. Like, he is like, most men is like, that's my dream, just to be taught. I mean, some of you might have heard he said you have three titles. I've won three. He's won five now. So he's probably happy now, right? He's probably found what he was looking for. No. And if you, if you saw the whole interview, at one point it says that he's date, he dates all sorts of famous women. Now he's actually married to a supermodel. So that has probably pushed him over the edge. Now he's finally found what he's looking for, right? No. That's, that's, that's the point I'm trying to get at. That's the point Solomon's trying to get at. If you are looking for contentment and adding certain things to your life, you will not find it. Not in a lasting sense. It, there is no missing ingredient that equals happy and whole life. So I want you to notice what Solomon, I would argue that this in many ways is him summing up the entire book. He says, even so. And he says, even so, because he spent so much time telling people how empty things are. But he says, even so, I have noticed one thing at least that is good. It is good for people to eat, to drink, and to enjoy their work under the sun during the short life that God has given them. Remember the question we had earlier, why why is it so difficult to enjoy life now? This is what he's saying. He's saying enjoy life now. And he says, and to accept their lot in life. And he goes on and he says, it's a good thing to receive wealth from God and the good health to enjoy it. He already said, wealth won't bring you happiness. Doesn't mean you can't enjoy it if God blesses you with it or health. He goes on, he says, to enjoy your work and to accept your lot in life, this is indeed a gift from God. And I love this final line. He says, God keeps such people so busy enjoying their life that they take no time to brood over the past. That word brood is the word that I'm telling you. The brood is what we do with that math equation. Me plus blank equals happiness. What is it? And you brood over what might, what might you need to accomplish? What might you need to attain? What might you need to, what was it in your past? And again, he's saying they don't even have time to brood over their past because they're too busy enjoying the present. And it, God keeps such people so busy enjoying life that they take no time to brood over the past. They have no time. But again, That's the sad tragedy of so much of our life is that we spend all of it brooding over times that are not now. So my current situation is that I have have kids that are 15, 13, 11, and seven, and all of them are highly active in sports. And I have the privilege, and I say that like, I have the privilege of picking three of my kids up from school and taking them to their sports and coaching them in most of them. That's what I get to do. And when I told you guys earlier about the people that are dealing with... um, Traffic, like there, I should never have a peep of complaint come out of my mouth for what I get to do in the afternoons. But I'm telling you, on my Mondays, I do back-to-back beginner volleyball classes. That is a very difficult thing to do. I'm just going to tell you that. And then I spend two more hours with my boys in that same gym that they've already been in for two hours, which you would think would be great, but after four hours, they're a little nutty, watching my daughters play. And then on Tuesdays, I coach three more hours of beginner volleyball. And on Wednesday, we do a super fantastic Wednesday thing in this room over here, which we're taking a three-week break during spring break, so don't bring your kids this next week, but we'll be back April 11th. Um, And it's amazing, and it's awesome, but it's exhausting. But my kids were there the whole time. And on Thursday, I coach football for two hours, and then I come home, and and it's like, okay, we finished the week. And if I'm not careful, during those moments where I'm coaching my kids and doing these things that people would kill for, I will find myself taking my mind to another place, and that place is my couch in my house. I will find myself going, 
what I wouldn't give to just fast forward through the rest of this and get my butt on that couch next to my wife where we can both sigh and go, we did it. We made it through another day. Which is valid because life is, coaching kids is frustrating, but, but it is so sad. There have been days where I've sat on that couch and I've actually told my wife, I feel sick because I, I wasted so much of this afternoon that I could have been enjoying just thinking about how tired I was, just thinking about how frustrating this can be at times, just thinking about anything other than enjoying where I was at, which I should do. And so there's the tragedy of a lost afternoon, and then there's the idea that as parents, if we're not careful, we don't find ourselves looking forward to the couch. We find ourselves looking forward to when is my last kid going to go to college or just go away to away university. I don't care. How many parents have had that thought? How many parents know how old they'll be when their last kid goes? I do. 42. That's as tragic as it is to lose an afternoon. Imagine having that same feeling of regret for 18 years. Man, how many, man, if I just, you know what I mean? Every, everyone who has grown kids that are gone, everyone says the same thing. Cherish every moment. I go, yeah, I know, totally. It's, it's sad how often I'm guilty of forgetting it. That's my personal place right now. I don't know where you're at, but my encouragement is, is that you're probably in, in danger of making the same mistakes I do. You're probably in danger of looking forward to some magical moment when all will be right, and if I can just endure these next couple years. My life, if I've looked back on it at times, I've realized how often I spend chunks of time just looking forward to my next thing. So like right now, I'm very tempted to just look forward to the river trip in June. Like I get to go sit in a river and float for hours. It's heaven. And as I go through the next two months of crazy kid sports, it's very tempting to get past the couch and just look at the river. And, and if I'm not careful, there's going to be the next thing after that. But there's all these powerfully, wonderfully, awesome, profound moments in between that we're going to miss if we're not careful. And I think that's what Solomon is trying to get at in this book. If you remember last week, that's what Scott kind of closed his idea with, is that Solomon was saying, stop chasing. Look for the meaning and the value in the moment. And I ultimately think that's what he's trying to get at in this book. And so Scott's going to close it up next week with wrestling with another cool idea that he, he chews on in this book. But for, for today, my hope is that you would be encouraged to just know that, hey, whether you're at a high or a low, wherever you're at, Try as best you can to be in that moment and enjoy it for what it is. Find meaning in it. Find value in it. There is value and meaning to be had wherever you're at. Don't miss out on the present because you're brooding over some other nonsense. Amen? Let us stand and close in prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, you are a good God. You are everything that we, we should ever need. Our hearts Find contentment, find fulfillment in you. It could be argued that that statement, me plus blank equals happy and whole, that you are the only thing that could fill that blank. And God, I, I do believe that to be true, but at the same time, there's a practical struggle that we wrestle with, God, and we are constantly trying to put other things in that blank. My hope and my prayer is that you would continue to leave us frustrated as we, as we try to find that solution. I thank you for everything that I've ever, every time I've ever gone around the corner expecting to find that happiness, to only to find it and realize that it wasn't what I thought it would be. I thank you for that frustration. I pray that you would continue to give it to any of us that are looking for that magical ingredient so that we would learn sooner rather than later that fullness is not found in circumstantial improvement and what our neighbors have and accomplishments or whatever it is that we might be chasing. I pray that you would help us, each and every one of us, 
to, to be able to be present in the moment and to find the meaning and the value and the joy in the moments that we're in. Lord, we love you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. 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 